Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is a live wire that is Kat Pengeli, hospitality rising star and founder of the Nerdy Hotelier blog. Coming up on today's show... Kat says what surely the whole world is thinking. I was like, how do I get Phil Street to know who I am? Phil brings up the 80s. Were you working as a waitress in a cocktail bar? And Kat makes her play for the most random line of the series so far. And at night, you can't really tell what's antlers and what's grass. All that and so much more as we chat through Kat's story and journey to date. Kat is a natural storyteller and recounts numerous moments with passion and fun. A massive thank you to Kat for sharing so openly. Don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Sometimes I've just got to take a step back and take a moment to realise that I love what I do. This podcast has started to tell as wide a variety of stories as possible, not just the founders and CEOs. However, today's guest, despite still being, I guess, at the front end of her career, has recently crossed the line into founding something of her own through these lovely lockdowns that we find ourselves in. So it's safe to say that without the podcast, I wouldn't have necessarily even been introduced to this person. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Kat Pengeli. Hi, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Great stuff. Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I was thinking about this, you know, when I write out my little intros, it's actually usually more tricky to to write an intro about somebody who doesn't have I, su- I suppose 20 years of experience in in the industry but actually you've you're a busy lady like you're just <laughs> you keep yourself on the go it seems all the time I do I do sometimes I regret it slightly um, with my lack of sleep and lack of personal <laughs> time but uh, no I do like to keep myself busy I'm not someone that likes to to sit on my hands per se <laughs> Yeah, and I remember actually way back at the beginning of lockdown one, I got a, a random LinkedIn message from you. I think at, at one point we hadn't had any contact before that at yeah. all, which was to say, you know, just in short, basically that the position's being made redundant and, to, you know, I'm looking for work. And I just loved, it sounds like such a simple thing, but actually the uh, the proactivity, I think, really sums up your character. Yeah, I, I do remember that actually. You know, you were on my list of um, of hospitality recruiters that I needed to make sure I connected with, um, and that's actually how I found your podcast originally. Was I was like, how do I get Phil Street to know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, after we connected on LinkedIn, um, I, I creeped you a little bit, I guess, for better <laughs> words, and I found your podcast. And you were just a couple episodes in at that point. I think you were about three, two or three episodes in, and I started listening to your podcast. And I was like, you know, as a recruiter, he seems pretty great. But this Bless. podcast also is is really amazing. And I may be going a bit too far into the conversation. But, you know, when I started listening to the podcast, I actually saw it as an opportunity as well. I said, you know, not only can I get to know Phil this way, I can get to know all these amazing hospitality people that he's talking to and do the exact same thing and reach out to them on LinkedIn and just say, hey, I want I want to get to know you. I want to know more about you. So, um, so yeah, your podcast is been very cool bless you yeah well and then you met me in in real life and it was just all a big disappointment it was really (laughs) (laughs) and that's why that's why uh during our charity events in december i named you as my hero of the year because you were were really that boring (laughs) god bless do you know what the um the most frustrating thing about that is 
is that we we did that that thing and then I don't think it even got aired, so nobody know. else knows. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna throw Chris and Kieran under the bus on that one. I think uh, I think they didn't uh, they didn't release that one video that we did. <laughs> no, I think there's some technical issues, wasn't there, on uh, on yeah. sound, etc., etc., which happens, which happens. But um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, I think that's actually one of the the, the things that I love about the podcast and this is not about me blowing the the trumpet of the 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 podcast by any stretch of the imagination was is that I, i really really did want to tell as wide a variety of stories as possible and not just make it about the um you know the the heavy hitters and and things like that because there's the there's a whole industry underneath that and that's the thing that i've loved about doing this is this you kind of you speak to all these different people and I'm one of these people that can generally get on with most people but people who are listening to this I think can you connect with somebody or you don't right I mean in terms of their message and in terms of what they stand for and and all of these sorts of things and and you then on the back of that kind of reached out to people that you had heard and just thought yeah I kind of like your message I kind of I don't know why I want to connect with you or what we're going to do but I, I know that I do want to be connected to you. Yes, exactly. Exactly how I felt. And, you know, I was taking that opportunity, you know, during my redundancy back in July that I just wanted to, I just wanted to know more people, especially, um, you know, I've only been in London three years. It was about just, just under two and a half years when all this uh, COVID nonsense started. Mm. Um, But I realized, you know, back in Vancouver, Canada, where I'm from, um, I had been a part of a lot of networking communities and really went out and met a lot of people and got to know the industry. And I hadn't really had the opportunity to do that since I came to London. So, you know, your podcast was a really good way for me to start meeting the UK hospitality industry. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I where I decided to go with it and listen to people's stories. I tell, you know, I'm a bit behind, I will say, Phil, I'm a bit behind on all your episodes. Uh, right. I'm, Stop the conversation. I know, I know. I'm so <laughs> sorry. But but the, the reason is because, you know, my boyfriend was giving me a bit of a hard time about it. He's like, just listen to them. And I was like, but the issue is... Is, is that I want to listen to them and genuinely pay attention and remember these stories and connect with these people and talk to them about their experiences. And I feel it really difficult to do that while I'm working or, you know, while I'm cooking dinner, or while I'm, you know, yeah. reading a book, because I genuinely want to learn this information. I want to listen. And so I, I find it very difficult to find an hour of my day where I'm literally doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they, they talked about the fact that um the 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 most popular times that people listen to podcasts are on walks or commuting and obviously not a huge amount of us are commuting at the moment so um you know that takes a a massive swathe of your day where you would you know that's it's dead time isn't it really commuting and you so you that's the moment that you you use these opportunities to to listen to something that teaches you something or you know, put your head in a book or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's not, I, you know, with the best will in the world, I wouldn't listen to a podcast just before I'm going to bed. You know, you're yeah. trying to close your mind down, not liven it up. Yes. <laughs> so I totally get it. I w- I'm not going to beat you up. Oh, good. I was a little for, bit worried to that. tell you that I was behind, but... <laughs> Especially, you were on the path to being number one fan. You do know I that, right? I am right? still number one fan, though. I'm just a bit behind on listening. I'm just, I'm, I'm number one excited about your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Anyway, that's probably way more than enough about me and this podcast. So let's go, before we get into how you've kind of, you know, transformed yourself in this this period, let's 
go all the way back to the beginning. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? Um, yeah, amazing. Uh, it, it feels like it's been a long ride. But you know, as I said, after listening to your podcast, some of these people have amazing, amazing stories. Um, and mine's a little bit shorter than most. But uh, like many people, my story started off in uh, high school or senior school or whatever you call it here in the UK. Um, yeah. At about, you know, uh, 16 years old, I was not keen on learning anything that I was being forced to learn <laughs> uh, right. in school. I, uh, I was really not interested and, you know, I struggled a lot to convince myself to go to classes, to do my homework because I just didn't genuinely find it interesting. But the one thing I did find really interesting was my cooking classes. Um, I loved to cook and I loved to create things with my hands and feel true enjoyment after creating something absolutely delicious that I could stuff my face with afterwards. <laughs> uh, and the school I was going to actually had a culinary program that was partnered with a local culinary college. So I was actually able to go into this program, um, kind of like a trade school that you guys hear that's, I believe you call it a college. And I was able to actually work. Um, it was kind of like the school cafeteria, but we did way more than that. Um, and we also did like contract catering um, and all that. And I really got to, you know, get my whites on and get my hands dirty in a professional kitchen, which was really exciting. So after graduating school, just barely, I might add, <laughs> I uh, went on <laughs> and uh, started working in a restaurant in Vancouver called Cactus Club. Um, for any um, of my friends or family that uh, live in Vancouver Cactus Club obviously is a really um, big chain now it's uh, moving across Canada but at the time they were just based uh, in Vancouver with multiple locations and it's a place that I had actually grown up eating at so I was really excited uh, to start working there and I started working on the line so you know started off in the dish pit like most do moved my way up to the you know app station salad station and uh about a year or so in, I was calling the line. So on on the side of the kitchen that I was in charge of, um, I was I was calling the tickets, um, and and getting all the food organized, which I absolutely loved. That that rush of having a whiteout, you know, all the tickets up on your screen with even more printing out that you can't even deal with. I loved that rush. Yeah, and and, and you organizing everyone. Oh yes, um, for those that know me, I'm a real organizing fiend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so so organizing them and getting everything done, you know, in a timely manner was was exactly right up my alley, even if I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but I loved cooking; I really loved it. But for those that also know me, um, I'm, a, I'm a very talkative person, and one of the issues that I found in the kitchen is that I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to be able to, you know, follow the food out and ask people how the food was and check in with everybody and kind of have that customer service aspect of it. Um, right, yeah. that, I, that I missed working in the kitchen. So I took a part-time job while working in the kitchen as a uh, waitress. And that's when I was really like, oh, no, 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 this is what I love. You know, I still got I still got to have the food aspect of it. Um, but I was talking to people. I was running around. I could be my usual energetic self. And that's what people liked. Yeah. So, and, you know, being liked is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. The, the, well, the big question is, uh, and here comes an 80s joke. Were you working as a waitress in a cocktail bar? I was not. 
I was not actually. It was uh, it was technically a bar and grill, but it was okay. more of more of a family restaurant. Like the name was Bar and Grill, but I definitely would have called it more of a you know a family style restaurant. But I really loved it. It was really good, and so I eventually stepped down from my cooking role so I could do the front of house role more full time. And I trained you know as a hostess, as a bartender, as a floor manager, and it was really interesting having you know my culinary knowledge and my front of house knowledge because it really kind of bridged that gap between, you know, waitress and line cook that a lot of people find difficulty with, you know, so it worked out in ways that I could have a great idea of when my food was going to be coming out. But then it also backfired a little bit when I knew that a chicken breast only took six and a half minutes to cook and I could go fight the kitchen (laughs) because, because my food was taking too long. So, you know, it had its ups and downs, but it was a really, really good time. So I decided to go to um, college for hospitality management at that point. Due to my uh, my love of high school, uh, my grades were not enough to get into university, but there was a community college uh, that focused on uh, hospitality that luckily for me had um, much uh, more lenient uh, requirements to get in. And I never realized how much I could love going to school when you're going to school to learn something that you're really passionate about, something that really and there gets we you are. excited. Yeah, exactly. There's, that's... That's the ticket right there, right? That yeah. is the key. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I kind of relate to you. I, I did enough to get by at school because, to be frank, none of the subjects really entertained me. Yeah. And uh, and then went to uni and I, I studied leisure and recreation management and I kind of got on a lot better with the the management and the practice of management, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. More than you know, sitting in maths, learning trigonometry. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you know, that yeah, that kind of stuff just really, really never got my attention. And it was a real big, you know, like, why am I here? Like, I don't want to be learning these things. So I was quite nervous to, to go to college, you know, I wasn't really sure how I was going to do I was panicking because I hadn't done well in school. And I was was really stressed out that I wasn't going to do well here. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to go for it anyway. And I did. And, you know, at the end, um, which I might be jumping, I'll jump back a little bit after. But, you know, in the end, I was the president of my graduation committee. I was a president of the association. I, you know, had straight A's and I was really proud of myself. And that's because I was learning something that I truly, truly wanted to learn, um, which was great. But uh, going back a bit to the beginning of college, um, I was still working uh, in the restaurant at the time. But one of the things that I didn't expect because I had gone to school to learn more about, you know, running restaurants, is that this program was kind of half focused on running restaurants and half focused on running hotels, you know, hospitality management, very kind of general. And I started weirdly falling in love with quirky things about hotels uh, that I just I just really didn't expect I had really no interest in hotels at the time and I just there there must have been I don't really remember when it was but there must have been a moment where my switch just flipped and I was like I am going to work in hotels for the rest of my life I never actually even worked in a hotel before, but I was like, this is what I am going to do. This sounds so cool. Um, And I started dedicating, you know, a lot more time into the focus of of 
learning, you know, about hotels. And I was really lucky that this college um, is very well connected in the hospitality industry in Vancouver. Um, And they did a lot of trade shows and career days and interviews and such like that. And there was one lady that I met, Jennifer, uh, who worked at the Sutton Place Hotel, um, which this is my favorite joke for people in Europe. The Sutton Place Hotel is a historic five-star hotel in Vancouver. Uh, And by historic, I mean it was built in 1986. Wow, that's ancient. (laughs) Ancient, ancient. But for Vancouver, that is actually quite ancient. We don't really have a lot of buildings that were built that long ago. Coming to Europe, I understand that my house is currently uh, older than that. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, so, so that's really fun, but I just, I, I really loved it. It had a very European feel, lots of marble, very elegant, very Victorian English is kind of how I saw it. Um, and after talking apart from its age, apart from its age, exactly. Yeah. Um, and after talking to this, um, HR manager, I was like, you know what, that's the hotel that I'm going to work in. And I did everything possible to work at that hotel. I really studied up on it. Um, and I found out that that same lady, the Jennifer lady was going to be doing doing interviews uh, with our school. And I was like, great, I'm going to get one of those interviews. And I made sure that I was, you know, at the sign up board about 45 minutes before we were actually signing up for our mock interviews so that I was at the front of the line. And then I showed up for my interview three and a half hours early. And why did I do that? Maybe a touch early. (laughs) Maybe a touch early, but I did it specifically because I wanted this lady to remember that she had met me before and before our interview. So I kind of just weirdly hung out around the interview room and sorry Jen if you're listening to this you probably won't but if you do uh, this is a bit weird <laughs> she's not she's not finding out about it now uh, I, I think she might be so I don't know if I've told her this story yet it was a while ago um but I hung around and I waited for her to go to the bathroom <laughs> And when she went out to to go to the washroom, I waited for her outside the washroom and then just casually bumped into her. And I was like, oh, Jen, I don't know if you remember me, but, um, you know, we met at this trade show a few months ago and I actually have an interview with you today. Um, which went very successfully for me because our interview then at that point was more of a chat. You know, it was more of a getting to know each other rather than a formal interview, um, which is exactly what I was going for. Um, And a couple of interviews later with the front office manager and the GM, I uh, landed a front office position as a front desk agent at the Sutton Place Hotel. Um, Strategy worked. My strategy did work. So, you know, if anyone... uh... She didn't call security. No, she didn't. So if anyone needs a pointer, it's to show up three hours early and hang out outside the bathroom. <laughs> that is actually some high level strategy there on yeah. job searching and uh, and the like. Because, you know, I, I can't, I, I suppose you couldn't guarantee that uh, that strategy is going to work in every single environment. No. <laughs> but you're definitely putting yourself out there in terms yeah. of you know, how do I stand out from the crowd? What do I do differently? that's what it was. And I knew because, you know, it had been a few months and I knew at that hotel trade show, she probably met hundreds of people. Mm. Uh, But I knew that we had had a conversation. We had connected even just slightly. So I really wanted to bring that connection to the forefront of her mind before our interview. Yeah. So, so yes. So luckily it's uh, worked out well for me. Uh, I worked there for about 
about a year while I was finishing college. Um, and then about a year or a year and a half after, you know, the dates are a bit of a muddle at this point. But then I decided that I that I might want to continue my education uh, in hotel management. And the the college that I was I had gone to had also done a bachelor's degree, but at the moment they were restructuring the program. So unfortunately they weren't they weren't holding the program. So I started looking at other hospitality universities that I could go to. Um, and there was one uh, in Victoria, BC, so um, a couple hours drive for those that don't know, called Royal Roads University. And its claim to fame, which I truly genuinely appreciate, is it was the filming site for the X-Men movies. So Xavier's School for the Gifted. That, ah, right, that okay. is where I ended up going to university, Wow, um, and, which is well, so cool. <laughs> how, old, how old was that building? Uh, I actually don't know, <laughs> but it's definitely, it's definitely a lot early, probably earlier in the 1900s. It was a naval college for quite a long time, actually. Right. And then became a university and a, a movie site. So, you know, I actually missed Ryan Reynolds filming Deadpool by three days. Gutted. Gutted. Absolutely gutted. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but you know, we were all really excited about that. And after Deadpool came out, we ran around, you know, I say ran around like we were five, but we were in our 20s, uh, reenacting all the Deadpool scenes around the university. But, uh, but yeah, it was do. a, as you do, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was a really, really cool program. It was a two year bachelor's degree as a condensed program. So I completed my two years in nine months, which wow. was, which was a whirlwind to say the least. It was interesting because, you know, you think that having 10 courses a semester and having project after paper after presentation over and over again, I feel like I don't remember the first semester at all. But the amount of information that I actually retained from that first semester was was amazing. It was mind blowing. I could remember so much, but the whole month was such a blur or the whole couple of months was a blur. But the information I retained was so valuable i think the um that a lot of first year students would probably uh argue that the first year is a bit of a blur but not usually for um for academic reasons <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> well we were lucky enough at, well i for for that instance we were just lucky enough that it, it wasn't a traditional university that you would see in movies and stuff like that um they didn't actually have any accommodation on site um, so right. stuff like frat parties and, and that type of thing weren't weren't really a thing. Um, there was only a cafe on site, um, like a place that you could grab lunch and a cup of coffee. But they did well at, uh, you know, sending us all home at the end. <laughs> um, so that, you know, the parties weren't as crazy as, as they could have been. And honestly, there was really no time for parties, if I'm completely honest. Mm. You know, it was, it was one of the, yeah. yeah, it was just one of those things where, you know, you'd be writing a paper and you'd finally finish. Um, at midnight and then you would say okay great now I can start preparing for my 9am presentation tomorrow and then after that presentation I can prepare for my presentation at three because you haven't even gotten there yet (laughs) yeah but but it was an amazing learning experience and it was a really really interesting hotel and all the professors were um, you know GMs or directors um, in the industry in the local area so it was you know a very well connected program um, we did a lot of hands on projects um, around site visits and actually going and experiencing 
experiencing the properties and working at the properties and doing events at the properties. So it was a it was an amazing experience. And they were also really well connected in the sense that a lot of Canadian hotels would actually look to this school to to find people that would be good for their management development programs. So I had applied for the uh, Fairmont Hotels and Resorts. I had applied for their leadership development program, um, now being owned by a core. It's called the Aspire program, for those that may be more familiar with that. Right. And I was lucky enough that um, I, I got the job out of university, which was great. So I spent about a week um, at home in Vancouver, and then I moved up to the Rocky Mountains. For those oh, that have never lovely. been to the Rocky Mountains, they are beautiful. It was my first time um, heading that way. And wow, what what an experience um, to live in a place that, you know, is filled with bears and deer way bigger than you've ever seen a deer before uh, yeah. and, and moose and lakes and mountains and rivers and about nine months of snow, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, negative 60 degree weather in the winter. It was, it was an experience to say the least. Uh, I worked there for about a year and a half doing their leadership development program, specifically in food and beverage, uh, because that's where most of my experience was. So I did six months uh, getting up at 3 a.m. to manage the breakfast shift. And then I did six months running the lounge uh, and bar. And then I did my final six months in meetings and events. So banqueting is what it was called, but uh, yeah. doing the, you know, r- running the, running the events from the operations side of it. So it was really, it was a really cool experience. And, you know, especially those breakfast shifts, you know, getting up at 3am was awful, but getting off at noon was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, like you have a quick one hour nap and then you would go run off to go hike or to go swim in the lake or to, you know, do anything that you do in this completely outdoor area of the world and yeah Yeah. so it was it was truly amazing and especially in the summer I will say the winters were brutal you know the sun didn't rise till 10 and a.m and set at 3 p.m and it was freezing uh so the winters weren't super cool but I got to do things that you would never really experienced they were super cool. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. They yeah. were extremely cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in the ways that I got to do stuff that I would have never experienced, like dog sledding and um, like ice climbing up frozen waterfalls and exploring wow. yeah. exploring river caves because they are all frozen over. You know, the stuff that you see out of a Canadian postcard that you don't actually know if it's truly real. Yeah. Those types of things I really enjoyed doing. And then the summer, you know, the sun the sun was rising at 4am and setting at midnight. And it was amazing. You could go for a hike at 7pm and coming down the mountain and it's still sunny, you know, so it it obviously wasn't the warmest, but uh, it it was very cool. It was a very cool place to live uh, for that point in my life. I guess you guys must be must have been on the same sort of trajectory as Norway in terms of how much sun it gets in winter and summer. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking, I was actually just looking at that the other day. And, and yes, it is very similar to, to kind of a, l- a little bit, not super north in Norway, but kind of middle to lower half. Yeah. But but yeah, it was it was interesting. That was kind of the closest that I had ever been to the idea of like, you know, in Alaska that they have sun all all day um, at certain points in the year. And I, I kind of, I didn't necessarily think it was fake, but you know, when you don't, you don't see it, so you don't necessarily believe it. Yeah. Uh, and that was the first time that I was like, oh yes, this is how the sun works. Yeah. I, I, as you know, I used to work on cruise ships and yes. we used to occasionally 
in the summer go up to the Norwegian fjords and cruise down the fjords, which is just amazing. That if you've sounds never done fantastic. It. It's absolutely beautiful and probably the only time of year that you can go there and, and get such beauty during the day. But we were doing a, an overnight one night at the end of a fjord. And I used to work in the in the galley across dinner sittings. So I would probably finish work on average about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and my boss just came to me at the end of the shift and said, you got any plans for the overnight? And I said, nope. Um, he said, do you want to go climb that hill with me? And we'll take, we'll take a, a bottle of vodka and just go and look at the world from from up there. And I went, let's do it. That and, sounds um, amazing. And it was one of those, it was a, it was a tough climb it was it was summer so we still had there was still some snow on the the peaks as it were we got up there and we, we stuck the the vodka in the uh in the snow to keep it cool and then we just sat and chewed the fat looking at this spectacular set in front of us of looking down at this tiny little cruise ship and we had a couple of shots of vodka and it was just a, a lovely thing to do that sounds amazing. I would love to do that one day. I don't even like vodka. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I don't like vodka either, but I'll take the vodka. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, anyway, I, I digress. Little, little. That's my cold story. I love that. I love that. I would love Norway's big on my list. Hiking in Norway is really big on my list, especially after living in the Rockies. So yeah, but yeah, so um, it was a really amazing experience, you know, and and working at a, at a resort like that, um, there was just so many things that you experienced that you would have never really experienced um, in, in a different place. For example, um, like orientation, we had one day on, you know, standard hotel orientation. And then we had one day on wildlife safety, because you have to know what to do when you, oh, do, yeah. when, when you come face to face with a grizzly bear, or you come face to face with a wolf or an elk, which are oddly believe it or not enough the most dangerous out of the yeah, ones that they, i just listed they, they just go nuts right as in terms of they they get frantic and and they're uh, very they territorial and right oh really yeah whereas a bear you know if a bear hears you coming they don't really want anything to do with you so they'll kind of wander off if they hear you coming where an right. elk will be like well i'm standing here and i'm going to keep standing here and when you approach me i'm going to make sure you're aware that i'm standing here you know so they're yeah. they're much more uh they're, they're much more dangerous than you'd think and especially the bull elk the males those horns can impale a car uh, so, yeah. so you don't necessarily want to be on the wrong side of those. And I have been very close to the wrong side of those a few really? times. Uh, yeah. Well, the staff accommodation was kind of off in the forest a bit. And you took a took a walk through um, a, like a path of grass. And it, it wasn't necessarily the tallest grass, but it was tall enough. And there was a few times where I'd be, you know, walking back after a few drinks in the bar to the, uh, to the staff accommodation. And at night, you can't really tell what's antlers and what's grass. So they, there would be, there would be some bull elk sitting on the edge of the path and you, and it's, you know, the Rockies. So uh, the other thing too, is it's a UNESCO world heritage site and a dark sky reserve. So we actually can't have lots of lights on the property unless it's like attached to the building. Uh, so not only was the, it pitch black because it's Jasper, uh, it also didn't have any lights really on the path. They were few and far between. So there was quite a few times where I noticed I was standing beside a bull elk when I was standing beside a bull elk <laughs> and you're just like, all right, well, I'm going to take off my heels because they are potential weapons if necessary. And I'm going to back up very, very slow, slowly. Mm. <laughs> but 
but luckily I didn't have, um, I didn't have any very dangerous encounters. I have heard of a few very dangerous encounters of people while I've been on property, but luckily none that I had seen or experienced. So I I got out of Jasper unscathed, I can say, which is great. You know, a few cuts and bruises from some hikes, but... You've also um, now given me one of the, the most random lines that I've ever heard on the Love podcast, <laughs> which is, uh, at night, you can't tell what's grass or antlers. Yes, yes, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So thanks for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. I am here to please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, my, uh, I was about, I think it was about four or five months before my contract was up and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. And at this time, it had been about two years, almost two years since I had lived in Vancouver. Um, And that's actually where I had left my boyfriend and my cat. Um, (laughs) So uh, we had been long distance for almost, almost two years now. And we, you know, I had always thought that hospitality was a job that you could you could do anywhere in the world. And so I had always very gently dropped in the idea, wouldn't it be so cool to live somewhere else in the world? And, uh, you know, at the time, which completely fair to my boyfriend, he was like, oh, my job is here and my friends are here and my family's here. So not really, like, I- I'd rather just live here. But but every once in a while, I'd throw in that one liner, uh, not really expecting much. But I think it was about, maybe it was a little bit earlier than four months. It was probably about six months before my contract ended. It was about June. I had said, I had dropped that one liner to my boyfriend and I said, wouldn't it be so cool to live somewhere else in the world and for the first time I got a different answer he said well where and I was like oh god I have absolutely no idea I wasn't actually expecting I wasn't actually expecting that answer and very quickly we kind of had the conversation of let's move to Europe let's just go so we we had kind of like top five cities that we may want to live in at the time we were thinking of places that had Fairmont hotels um, because it was much easier for me to apply for a job already working with Fairmont yeah of course yeah um so we we picked uh for example like Barcelona Monte Carlo Paris London and one other maybe Copenhagen I can't really remember now and then you know, after doing a bit of research, realizing that we only spoke English and we had never actually been to Europe before, the safest bet was probably to move to London. Right. <laughs> and and after kind of going through the process, we also realized that because his family is English, he was actually able to just get a British passport and become a British citizen. Okay. Yeah. Which which was amazing. So you know that saved us a lot of money and a lot of time as well. So you know I'm the only one that has to pay three grand every two years for a visa, but uh, that's a different. Is that how much it is? I- no yeah, idea. it's it's quite it's not cheap. I will say that. Yeah, it could be about two thousand five hundred, but I keep leaving it too late and having to pay the rush fee. Right. So so it ends up being a little a little bit more for me. Being the organized person I am, you would think that I wouldn't do that, but I somehow always manage to, even after yeah, planning but- it. Those who organize are are generally you know they're if you go into the house, I'm, I bet it's a mess. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I, I'll leave that for a whole different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> But, but yeah, so he uh, packed up the house in Vancouver and I drove down um, and picked him up and we lived out the last four months of me working uh, in Jasper in the next town over uh, Hinton because there was actually nowhere to live in Jasper. It's that small of a place that there wasn't a single place to rent. So so we moved to the next town over um, and I commuted in. But uh, yeah, so we did that while we were planning our adventure to London. I assume that the in terms of the positioning of that hotel then that, that people go there from a from a tourism perspective to get that wilderness canada type 
Absolutely. Escaped. That is pretty much the only reason right. <laughs> that you would make it to Jasper because the closest like international airport is Edmonton, which is about a three and a half hour drive on a, wow. on a good, on a good drive. Right. And you know, the smaller airports were only for private planes. So unless you were, you know, very well off the close and the closer airport was still, you know, an hour and a half drive away. So it, it really is in a very rural destination, especially in the winter. Um, you know, a lot of people, you may know Banff, um, more familiarly. Yeah. Um, a lot of people go to Banff because it's only a 45 minute drive from Calgary and they actually have a ski hill. Whereas Jasper in the winter, again, the closest is a three and a half hour drive to Edmonton. And that's without the ice and snow on the highway. And, you know, and also, um, depending on the avalanches, if it's an avalanche warning, actually, all the roads are closed off, and you can't even get to Jasper. Crikey. So so it is really truly a, a Canadian uh, like a Canadian postcard destination. You know, the town has, I think it was probably about 2,500 people in it. And that includes the the 500 people that live on property at, at this Fairmont. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a very small place. But as I said, you know, UNESCO World Heritage Site, Dark Sky Reserve, it's a truly beautiful place is not many opportunities that you would ever have where walking between your staff accommodation, your hotel, you could look up to the sky and see the Milky Way. Yeah. You know, yeah. which which blew my mind the first time I saw it. It would still blow my mind now if I saw it. Same with the Northern Lights. You know, the first time I saw the Northern Lights in Jasper was after we had closed up the bar and we had taken a bottle of wine and gone out to the golf course. And we're just lying on the golf course looking at the sky. And all of a sudden, it just, the whole sky just glowed green. Oh, and then and then started dancing. And it was honestly, I, I can't even explain to people that have never seen the Northern Lights what the Northern Lights are. But it's kind of like like what I assume being on acid would be like. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you just you're just lying there and staring at the most crazy thing you've ever seen, multiple different colors, you know, different shapes and, and just everything going crazy. And it can last for a second or it can last for hours mm. you know and if you're lucky enough to catch it, it it's just it's the craziest thing so yeah, yeah. So, so, you I've, know. I've still not seen it it's on it's on the list I, I working on cruise ships and being up in Norway I'm surprised you haven't you haven't seen it yet yeah but generally speaking if we at night time um with if there was such a thing because <clears throat> half the time when we're up in Norway it uh it's the land of the midnight sun they call it mm. I would either be down in the dungeons working or getting drunk in a bar. No, that's very fair. I will say one of the one of the things that I'm most proudest of working at um at, at that property is there was one night when because it's a quite a large property, which I haven't really explained, it's about seven hundred acres. Um right. and so there's a bunch of different like events buildings kind of like throughout the golf course and the whole and the property as a whole. And there was one night where we were setting up for a wedding um uh on the events team and it was me and my team and there was about 15 of us. And when we pulled the truck up to one of the building that we were going to be setting up the wedding at, the Northern Lights came out. And right. I, I just told everyone, I was like, drop everything and let's go sit on the golf course and spend 15 minutes staring at the sky. Because, as you know, for me, I really wanted to watch it. But yeah. I, I didn't want, like, you know, everyone was so excited that I didn't want to be that manager. I was like, no, guys, you know, we got to do this. I, you know, sorry to the uh, hotel that had to pay everyone an extra 15 minutes at the end of the day. But that experience for those people, I really, truly hope 
was you know a really memorable moment that yeah, that you know sure. we, we st- I just said drop it we are going to watch the Northern Lights right now for 15 minutes and it only I think in the end the show only lasted about 10 minutes but everyone for the rest of the evening it was like this is like two o'clock in the morning now you know everyone for the rest of their shift was so hyped up and so excited because what a great show it was that we saw yeah and there you are at the end of the day right 10 minutes yeah what's what's that in real terms uh, in terms of what you've just done for motivation and you know and and these are the things that people remember in their life they don't remember that they worked an extra 15 minutes at the end of their day Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, so that was great. And then, yeah, when I was finishing up and we were starting to probably, you know, we're like, okay, we're, we're moving to London. I had applied for a job at the Savoy because obviously it's a Fairmont managed hotel. It didn't work out, unfortunately, um, but I didn't find out that it didn't work out until a week before the flights. Right. And we were kind of like, Ooh, okay. So neither of us are going over there with with a job. (laughs) And we kind of had to make that split decision where it was, well, you know, we've sold 90% of our things. We've bought plane tickets. We've spent almost 5,000 Canadian dollars vaccinating and microchipping the cat (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and buying her the most expensive flight I've ever heard of to England. And uh, we kind of just had to make that decision. Do we still go anyway and just hope for the best? And, uh, and we did, we were lucky enough that his uncle um, put us up for a couple of weeks while we had nowhere else to go. He picked us up at the airport and we started off our London life in Mitcham, which is is much more not London than I thought it was when we first arrived. Um, I was going to say, know, it's, it's not really London. <laughs> it's, it's not. I thought we were, well, we were in London, but I thought I was like, ooh, okay, this is, uh, this is interesting. London yeah. is like vibrant and like cool as I thought it was. No offense to Mitchum in any way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but at that point we were trying very hard to, you know, to save any pocket money we had or anything like that. So while looking for flats and jobs, we didn't even, you know, we didn't even go into London for the first two weeks. We didn't explore. We didn't go look around or anything because we didn't even want to spend the 250 on the tube, you know, we were like we might need that 250 (laughs) yeah it was a bit of a it's a whole another story but it was a bit of a whirlwind experience you know getting bank accounts phones finding a place to live finding a job but I was lucky enough that there was this lovely girl that I had talked to a few times called Chanel who was a year ahead of me at Royal Roads University back in Victoria and I had never met her but our professors had put us in touch once when I considered moving to London and you know she gave me some some tips and some pointers and you know questions about the visa and all that and so I had reached out to her and I just said hey you know don't have a job I'm looking would love to meet you for a coffee so I can meet you face to face and say thanks for all your help and so we met face to face and we kind of talked a little bit Um, I will say she's now one of my one of my absolute best friends of my whole life, which is amazing. Um, She uh, introduced me to GP Associates, which is the company that I was lucky enough to get a job at just at the end of January. So about a month after we had moved to the UK. And I had, I had always wanted to get into sales. GP Associates is a sales company for luxury five-star hotels in the UK and around the world. Um, And I had always wanted to get into sales, you know, especially working in events at the fair 
Claremont property in Jasper. It was one of those things where, you know, you're, you're on your 15th hour of your shift, you're running around, you're calling food, you're cleaning up messes. And the sales team would just be, you know, having a glass of wine with the clients, you know, <laughs> eating the dinner. And I know that's not the whole job, but I was like, man, I want that job. <laughs> You know, I, I'm dirty. I'm I'm wet in some kind of dishwater. You know, I, I'm I'm 15 hours in. I'm exhausted. I I'm a mess. You know, and the sales team's just oh so lovely, so classy. Let's just have a glass of wine with the clients. And I was like, one day I'm going to do that job. Um, mm. So I was very lucky that I was um, able to get a job at GP Associates um, without any sales experience. But I started off as um, a coordinator, so doing the admin, getting the appointments in the diary for the team planning and uh, hosting events um, and all that kind of stuff, which was really amazing. The experience with the properties that GP Associates looks after was was phenomenal. You know, my first my first real time out of London um, was to go visit Danesfield House in Marlow, which is quite um, an older property, um, you know, a grade two listed building. But yeah, 1986, me, I think, it, wasn't it? Uh, 1986, yes, as a matter of fact. Yeah. No, actually, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> if you'd like to know the real date, it's 1901 um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> was, when, was when that property was built. There's actually three properties on that site, but the one that's still standing was built in 1901. But when I first came up that drive, it's a beautiful, you know, white country house style hotel. But to, to my colleague Amy at the time, I was like, Amy, you've taken me to a castle. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And she's like, yeah, this is a pretty standard uh, country house hotel. No, that's just a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, for, for a Canadian, um, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. You've taken me to a castle. <laughs> And uh, and to this day, Danesfield House is still you know one of my one of my favorite hotels to to think about and to talk about because it truly is a really beautiful you know historic property. It has a lot of history with the RAF and stuff like that as well. So yeah, you know, it's it, yeah, it, it's a really it's a really gorgeous property. So um, but yeah, so I I did uh, the uh, sales coordinator role uh, for about a year uh, a year and a few months, and then I was lucky enough to be promoted to a sales executive and actually started looking after Danesfield House, um, which is why I'm so excited and so passionate about it. And and yeah, I did that for um, for about a year and February 2020 rolled around and there was talks that, you know, there may be an opportunity for me to move up to sales manager in a few months if, um, you know, if I hit my targets. Mm. Um, and I'm sure you can see where this is going as March 2020 <laughs> rolled around and we all got put on furlough. And then June 2020 rolled around and unfortunately, due to the climate of the world, and no hard feelings to GP Associates at all. I got made redundant from my position, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, but you know, I kind of I look back at it now. Um, as you said, I'm I'm a very busy bee. Um, I look back at it now that my redundancy truly was an, an opportunity to to learn different things, to do different things, and to gain experience in areas that I just never would have even considered before my redundancy. Yeah. So going into that a little bit, you know, um, being the incredibly organized person that I am, I had about two weeks notice that I was going to be made redundant. And I was just asked that I didn't announce that my redundancy on LinkedIn or to anybody until that date, so that GP Associates had time to, to tell our hotels personally about it before they found out through other means. Yeah. And I and so, you know, I was I kind of I call it putting my university brain on I went 
went back to Royal Roads and I said, okay, what is my to-do list then? And, you know, before before July 1st, which was the date I was allowed to announce my redundancy, in a Word document, I had rewritten my entire LinkedIn profile. I had a list. I had gone through every single one of my connections and grouped them into different lists of what I wanted to, to tell them and what I wanted to ask them for. Um, you know, I had all of those messages already drafted up. Right. Uh, and I had a list of things that I wanted to do. One of them being your podcast. Um, I wanted to start listening to that. I wanted to, you know, put some feelers out for different things that I could learn about. Being that hotels were a very kind of iffy, you know, especially in June 2020, no one really knew how long this was going to last. Yeah, um, for sure. So, so um, my MD at GP Associates has suggested, well, you know, rather than focusing your efforts on hotels, maybe focus your efforts more as an events um, on the events side, because I had done a lot of events for GP Associates. And she said, you know, we like a lot of our clients are event managers, like, you know, connect with them, reach out to them, see if there is anything more on an event side that you can do as things are going virtual. So one of uh, one of uh, my friends who I had reached out to, um, she had said, oh, actually, there's a company that I, I'm doing some collaboration with, and they're doing um, a virtual conference in a couple of weeks. And the deal is, because it's a non-for-profit conference, they will train you on how to do online event production and facilitation via Zoom for free. In return, you give them you know, two days of your time to help produce and facilitate this conference. And, you know, and she was like, I know you don't get paid for it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what, it sounds like you're giving me free training and then free hands on experience. You you, you know, like a much more positive mindset, because a lot of people were like, Oh, but then I don't get paid. And it's like, well, you're getting free hands-on experience to say that you've actually done this at a conference, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I did that, which was amazing. And I kind of went in in it with 110%, like I do most things. Not to toot my own horn, but I am weirdly OCD and organized. I hadn't picked that up about you at all. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate that you hadn't picked that up about me, yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the company then actually reached out to me in August uh, of last year saying, you know, we, we really loved your, your energy and your efforts and everything. And, um, you know, I know it's not hotels because um, they train in um, like agile and lean methods. So like Kanban and Scrum. I'm not sure if that's gibberish to you or you know of it at all. But um, Well, that's gibberish. Yes, I figured it is for it is for most, actually. But uh, they had said, you know, we're looking for someone to kind of help with our marketing and our engagement with our clients. And we'd love to take you on. So I set up as a sole trader at the time and started off a a part time contract with them. Um, And I'm still working with them now, which is amazing. And my friend who had introduced me to the training, uh, she works for a company that does online event production. So I now work ad hoc online event production with them as well on a contractual basis. I've done a few smaller contracts um, here and there with some like uh, hospitality mentorship communities and kind of what I think you were going to eventually bring it back around to is I've actually started my own brand, which, which is very cool. Yes. uh, The the nerdy, the nerdy hotelier uh, is is what I've named myself. You didn't need me for this. Yeah, no, I'm just just talking. You've absolutely nailed the format. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, see, I'm um, for for those that know me, uh, know that I like to talk, and it's really hard to get me to stop. So a podcast is exactly the right type of place. For what me. have I done? What have I done? Yes, um, I'm sorry to everyone listening. No, My apologies, but yeah, so I started the Nerdy Hotelier, which is a blog um, based around you know what gets me nerdy and passionate about hotels, and it was actually a suggestion from uh, I'm gonna name dropper here, Jill Harvey, who started um, something called the Redundancy Support Roadmap which is a program designed to help people in hospitality and events through their redundancy. Everything from, you know, accepting the the redundancy, the emotional side of it to what you can be doing to get yourself out yep. of it. And she had Massively actually... important. Very important, very important. And she had suggested to me, you know, well, how are you going to tell people how much you love hotels and how much you want to sell hotels? Because it's really easy to say, you know, you have sales experience on your CV, but how do you get your passion across? And she mm. said, you know, well, how about you start a blog? And I was like, oh, you know, I've kind of always wanted to write a blog, but never really started it. And uh, she just kind of was like, Kat, next week when we have our call, you will have started writing a blog. And I was like, oh, geez, Jill, okay. <laughs> um, and, and so I did. And now, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I've only written four or sorry, six blog posts. But as of January, it's kind of taken off a little bit. You know, I've, I've got a good following. Um, I'm getting really excited about writing these blogs. So I've decided that I'm going to put um, a blog out uh, once every three weeks about hotels that get me nerdy. You know, uh, the one that I'm going to be releasing next week is called 10 Hotels in London that may be under your radar so ones that people may not know about and specifically you know why they're on my list and what gets me excited about them nice. um, and, yeah. and I hope that you know the the one that I released at the beginning of January was at 12 hotels that I really want to get nerdy with in 2021 you know my goal for 2021 is to visit these 12 hotels and um, you know I've had great support for my community um, trying to help introduce me to people that can get me these site visits after lockdown is over and I actually already have one in the diary. So, uh, so very excited. And, I, and, and then I get to, you know, get nerdy with them and then tell people why I'm so nerdy about them. Whether it's the staircase, the marble, the chandeliers, I could, I could honestly talk about hotels forever. Um, Do you know is... what I'm nerdy about? <laughs> what are you nerdy about? With hotels, logistics. And that sounds really boring. Love but, it. But bear with me, bear with me. And this, I, I suppose this comes from working in an environment that, that did high volume but did high volume to a high standard. I was I kind of a little bit obsessed as to how you pull that off. Working on a cruise ship, you kind of just get into the flow and you take it for granted. And the, the only other time that I remember being a complete geek about what was going on was that I got one of the previous guests on the show, actually, uh, Gilles Perrin, from, uh, he's currently in the Ritz-Carlton Osaka, but used to work as executive chef at the Atlantis The Palm. He gave me a back of house tour of Atlantis, the Palm in Dubai. Oh, that sounds so cool! And my <laughs> word, I mean, it, it's like the the network of corridors underneath the hotel I love to, that. to facilitate. I love all of that as well. That's because uh, that's like the, you know, that's the heartbeat of the hotel. You know, it's the, yeah. there's just people bombing around everywhere all the time. It's just so alive and so busy it's it's just it's a wonderful place to be oh that's so cool yeah I honestly I can get nerdy about almost anything but design like old architecture uh, you know like 
the the original staircases or the original wood paneling. I know it sounds really weird to say that I get excited about wood paneling, <laughs> but 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 I truly do. You know, I like I like to go through hotels and I like I like to touch things, um, which is maybe slightly inappropriate during COVID. But you know, I, I like I like I like to feel I like to feel the railing of the staircase and I like to you know feel the detail and the stoneworks on the walls. And I'm like I'm literally getting warm right now because I'm getting really <laughs> excited talking about, you know, talking about architecture. But, you know, there's there's so many unique and different and amazing hotels out there that, you know, it's just it just gets me so excited to think that there's so many things to get nerdy about. I'll quickly yeah. tell you about one that gets me really excited. One of the hotels that GP Associates looked after um, was Beaverbrook in Surrey, oh, yeah. um, which used to be Lord Beaverbrook's home. And um, he was really good friends with Sir Winston Churchill. And so there's now a room called Sir Winston Churchill, and it's set up exactly how he liked it, where his desk was, where his bed was, the original, you know, old wooden toilet, you know, those types of things. And Mm. he used to have an escape door, which is now, which is now unfortunately behind the shower. So the escape door is no longer there. But if you go into the hallway and you go down this tiny, a couple of little stairs around this weird corridor, there's actually the, the, the other side of the door is still there. Right. And, you know, and it's just so interesting to think that, you know, there's this secret escape out of the bathroom, you know, that that he could get out if if he needed. Um, And so things like that get me really excited and really nerdy. You know, the history, the stories, the the secret wine cellars, the the back corridors. And as you said, the tunnels underneath the hotels, um, that type of stuff I find I find really interesting. So that is kind of what the nerdy hotelier is. Um, It's just me talking about why I'm so weird about all these things and how, you know, and what gets me excited about them. Um, But I'm also kind of taking it off where I want to be able to do some collaborations. So uh, I have a lovely collaboration going on with Selling Savvy, which is a sales training company for hotels. Uh, or sorry, hotels and, ve- and event venues. And, yep. um, you know, so I've started uh, working with them where I write one blog a month for them and kind of help them get their, you know, the passion and the excitement across that they have about the things that they want to talk about. And because that's hotels, I'm still excited about it. You know, it's still yeah. hotels, events and venues. It's still something that gets me excited. So I've kind of uh, expanded it slightly into that where, you know, if I can help people write, you know, content that that hopefully people are going to want to read when they that they send to their clients, I'd love to be able to, to assist with that. So, um, so mm-hmm. I'm doing that as well. But um, I'm wearing many hats at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what, that, I think that's awesome, because the, you, you know, we still don't really know where we're at with all of this. Uh, that's going on in the world yeah you know we've got no firm dates on anything at the moment so you know you what what do you do in that situation you either kind of just let it wash over you and just sit you know around on your backside and watch Netflix all day or do you actually continue to do what you're passionate about and and try and and make a difference in some way yeah and um, you know what you're doing is raising your own profile and 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 certainly all the work that we did together last year with with the XP guys you know, you're. I think it's just a question of time before somebody really latches on to how, how you know, what an absolute asset you are to a business. And you know, but in the meantime, you're also building something for yourself. And I think I, I would imagine that whatever happens over the next sort of year, if you secure employment in inverted commas or whatever, yeah, you know, meaningfully uh, again going forward, then 
you'll probably continue to do this anyway, right? Because you're you're a hotel nerd. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you know that is I I would love you know after this all kind of settles down to to get back into hotels, um, because that is that is what I want to do. I want I want to be a hotelier. I want to work in hotels, and I would love to be able to to go back into sales because you know that's where I'm able to to get excited and shout out my passion about why I'm excited to work at this or these properties if I'm representing more than one. So I do I do hope I've been keeping a gentle eye out, you know, for for some of the brands that I would be really keen to work with just to see, you know, if anything's going on because I do have employment at the moment, but it is a step out of hospitality a little bit other than my blog. So I would really really like to to be able to get back into hotel sales and hotel events in London and you know be be able to share my passion with with clients and with others so um so we'll see where that goes hopefully you know things will start getting back to the new normal soon and uh and I can start kind of aiming uh my my efforts towards that way yeah brilliant um I always ask everyone that comes on, although I did forget to do that in one of the conversations <laughs> I had recently, uh, stories. Yes. I mean, you've actually, you've told us a couple of stories kind of on, on your way through your, your journey so far, which is great. So you've clearly got a kind of natural storytelling way about you. But is there any anything specific where you've, you know, it's highly amusing or you're completely out of your depth? And bear in mind that you've already regaled us once with a story about Chunder. So, yes, um, <laughs> I will. I will leave. I will leave the. Special. I will leave the Chunder story out, um, in hopes that I direct people to the Christmas special podcast that you did specifically, yeah, yeah. so that they can listen to your opening song, which yeah. <laughs> makes me have the biggest smile on my face. If you ever, for those that are listening, if you ever need a smile, go listen to the opening song that Phil did for the Christmas special. Because honestly, I cannot stop giggling when I'm listening to it. It's so good. Do you know when you you have an idea and you think, yeah, that would be a great. That's gr- what a great <laughs> idea that is. And then you start getting into it, and and it actually starts taking on a bit of a life of its own. Oh my gosh! When your voice goes high, I just I lose it. It's yeah. Hilarious. And but then that's that's the point where I realised I was like I wrote this thing, and but I hadn't checked my own vocal capability. Oh my gosh! It was fantastic. So it was uh, it was like okay, well now you've kind of got a just roll with it because we're, we're too too deep in there we can't change tact and we've promised so much to, to so many things so you know at the end of the day I've, I've always I'd never take myself too seriously anyway and I've, yeah. I, somebody once said to me if you don't mind losing your pride you've got absolutely nothing to lose at all and I really have always kind of gathered that and I, I, I I'm very very happy to laugh at myself even when the you know for the sake of talent as in lack of it in circumstances like that but I you know there was an indulgent part of that as well I I took a a great deal of pleasure in putting that together especially because it was for a Christmas special a moment of joy but also to raise money for hospitality action exactly yeah no it was it was great Um, but yes so I will leave you without the Chunder story for now Um, but oddly enough at the same hotel this is when I was working for the Sutton Place Hotel in Vancouver I I wanted to tell you the story of how I cost my hotel close to ten thousand dollars in my uh, while I was still in my uh, first three months Good start. It, yeah, great start. And, and it's fu- it's funny because it's it's such a simple thing that I did that just escalated so far. <laughs> and so it sounds like a, a Hollywood movie in it, the making. It, I feel I feel like. 
like it could be, you know, uh, maybe a shorter movie, but but yeah, it could be a fairly interesting thing. But there was these uh, two girls from Japan that were coming to check in uh, over the summer, and I checked them in. When they arrived, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, and for those that know Vancouver, good luck trying to check into your room at 10 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the summer, um, <laughs> because we are fully booked from the night before. But um, I took the girls' luggage, and, you know, I gave them a key to the spa so they could freshen up and told them to, you know, go enjoy the beautiful sunny day and to come back later to come grab their keys. So yeah. um, as, as, as you do sometimes uh, when you're working at the front desk, you pre-assign them a room, you tell housekeeping to get it started, and you make the keys and you put the luggage tag with the keys and you put it in the, you know, waiting for it to be ready spot. And I left it there and they came back later. And um, when they came back, the room wasn't clean yet. And I was like, oh, shoot, but not to worry. We have lots of other rooms that are randomly clean now. So I'll just quickly switch the keys for a different room. And that's what I did. And I put the um, the luggage ticket uh, in the Bellman spot and the Bellman came and he picked it up and he took the luggage to the room. And that was that. About, I would say about four, five hours later, these two Japanese girls come back down and they say, um, they say, oh, um, our luggage hasn't made it to the room yet. And I was like, oh, that's odd. Let me let me look into that. And long story short, because I had written the original room number that I had pre-assigned them to on the luggage ticket and forgot to change it, the bellman had taken the luggage to the wrong room. No problem. Okay. We'll just we'll just go get the luggage. Go to get the luggage, and the luggage isn't there. And you know, we have security footage of the bellman in the hallway going into that room with luggage and coming out with luggage. But then we also have security footage a couple hours later of people going into the room with room keys that work, picking up their bags, more bags than the bellman had gone in with, and left. Uh, the longest, <laughs> the longest story short is that the reason why the room wasn't clean per se, even though it looked clean to the bellman when he went to go drop off the bags, is that it was a late checkout for a wedding, and so the room had a late checkout, but the housekeeping had freshened it up. So when the bellman went to go drop the bags, he just you know dropped them by the door and and went out because the room looked clean. Little did mm. he know that there was actually other luggage around the corner. And the wedding party had sent two of the gentlemen to go to everyone's rooms and collect all the luggage. Because the gentleman that went into this room, it wasn't their luggage. They just assumed all of it was the luggage for these people oh. and picked it up, packed it into their truck and drove off. And, oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, my, my neck is going red. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the girls had left their passports, their credit cards, their everything, their IDs, their everything in their bag when they had gone out for a walk. They now had, you know, dinner plans that they were now late for. They had no ID, no money, no nothing. And we have no idea where their bags are. Mm. Um, they're also flying to Hawaii in uh, in uh, less than 24 hours. This was a stop between Japan and Hawaii. <laughs> right. But of course, they don't have their passports. <laughs> Uh, or anything. So how are they supposed to fly to Hawaii? We eventually located the bags through a phone number that we had on one of the wedding's accounts. Uh, they had gone to Kelowna, which was about a four-hour drive away to continue the wedding festivities. Um, but we didn't get a hold of them for about two or three days. So not only did the hotel obviously have to foot the bill of the hotel stay at our property, feed them in our you know five-star restaurant, um, buy mm. them new clothes, get them 
pocket money, try and get them emergency passports with the Japanese embassy, change their flights, pay for their hotel rooms in Hawaii that they were missing. You know, it was about three days of these girls being trapped uh, in this hotel because they couldn't really go anywhere or do anything. They didn't have anything. So, uh, and, and so in the end, you know, that day that I went home, I called my mom who had also worked in hotel for quite a few years. Um, and I called my mom and I told her the situation. And I was like, what do you think is going to happen to me? And she just, she just said very gently, she said, oh, sweetheart, you're going to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's exactly what I expected that's, was, that was going the, to happen. That was the hunch I had. But, that, was, um... that was the hunch I had. And I had a couple of days off. And I, when I went back in, they had sorted out this problem. The girls were on their way to Hawaii because their bags had been couriered from this other city back to the hotel in Vancouver. So the girls right. were now on their way, you know, but we've now paid for their whole stay in Vancouver, their whole stay in Hawaii their flights, their everything. And I sat down with my front office manager and I was like, so should I like pack up or (laughs) what's going on here? And they were actually incredibly nice about it. And they just said, you know, the mistake that you've made has been made so many times, so many times, just just writing the wrong room number on a ticket, you know, for the Bellman. It's a very simple and unfortunately common mistake that bags go to the wrong room. And he just said, you're just, you know, you're just really unfortunate that things escalated in the craziest way they could have gone. Yeah. And, and that is why we are not firing you, but we're definitely writing you up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, I've never been so yeah, lucky. I'll take and that. That's I, fine. I, I was like, I was like, man, write me up. That's totally okay. Suspend me for a few days. Like I just, I can't even imagine how much money I just cost the hotel as, mm. you know, as, as working there for less than three months time. And I think that was another reason as well as, you know, they, they, he had said, you know, well, we should have been checking on you still, you know, you're, you're still new. So, you know, it's a simple mistake and, you know, just, absolutely don't do it again. And I will tell you for the next two years, I never wrote a room number on a ticket until I was ready to send that luggage to that room. Yeah. But, but there you are, right? I mean, that it, it, mistakes are inevitable, Yeah, you know, and, and there's no way in the world that you did that on purpose, you know, so there has to be a, I suppose a little bit of leniency, but I, you know, it's just, it's part and parcel. It's one of the ways that you learn the best, right? As you say, you will never make that mistake ever Ever, ever again. Ever again. <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares about it until I'm old. I'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bless you. Yeah. Jeez. I think we've all been there though. Yeah. I, um, I've definitely had uh, moments. I got a, a written warning when I was on ships for losing, I think it was 15,000 pounds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was uh, responsible for the, the crew office float. And in there at any one time was up to up to one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. So we were because we used to pay the crew in cash, and then they used to remit their money home to their families and things like that. And I remember balancing after a, we we'd just done a crew payday, and I just fifteen thousand pounds was gone. Oh, I was no. like, where is this money? I've, you know, you recount, you recount, you recount, you double check, get somebody else to check, and fifteen grand was gone. And I thought. I actually didn't think I was going to get sacked. I, I did feel like, you know, that, that's definitely that merits a written warning for sure. And they uh, they did, they went through the process and it was one of the most lovely written warnings I think anybody could ever have. <laughs> Basically them saying, look, we know that this is a, an error somewhere. It will come out, but until it comes out, we, we have to to give you a written warning. And, I, you know, and, and to be honest, I'm really sorry that we have to do that. 
And then lo and behold, six months later, it came out in paperwork in the head office. And that got back to the ship and I got called back into the um, to the chief purser's office, which was the hotel manager, basically, general manager. And he, he took my written warning and tore it up in front of my face. Oh, love that. Yeah. And I, I, I just thought, you know, I didn't make a, a mistake because I wanted to make a mistake. But also, you know, you live and learn about, okay, so now you've, this is an awful lot of responsibility you've been given. Make sure you're you're being responsible with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, everybody, one of the greatest moments in the podcast for me is when I had uh, Eugenio Perry on from the Dorchester Collection. Mm. Uh, you know, he's their chief culture officer. Yeah. You know, effectively head of HR for the whole group globally. And uh, I always wanted to ask him a question about, you know, have you ever had a written warning? And uh, and he went, yeah, I've been sacked. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, there we are. <laughs> They're on the route to being as close to perfect as you can. You have to make a a, a huge number of mistakes on the way. So I, uh, what a cracking little story. Yeah, love that. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, what would you say to somebody who was considering a career in hospitality? That's a great question. Um, I would definitely say absolutely go for it. If you want to work in hospitality, if you want to work in hotels, restaurants, bars, whatever it is, go for it. You know, there there tends to be a bit of a stigma around the fact that jobs in hospitality are only for those, you know, in between careers while you're at uni, people that don't have big goals for a real job. And there was air quotes around real job. Um, yeah. But, you know, the hospitality industry is, is, is electric. It's wild. It's fun, just like people think it is. But it's also full of some really passionate people about, you know, making a difference for others. It's caring professional and there are some amazing opportunities you know in London and worldwide um, that that you can get from working in hospitality so I absolutely say go for it here here yeah I mean I um the one thing the that I get from all of the chats that I've had so far are it's the stories that actually really give this industry it's it's voice and it's face yeah because you know at the end of the day if we if we rely on the uh, uh the mainstream media to to be the message of the industry then that message is always negative yeah but the, but the reality is is that that's not the case at all and so you know what better way to hear it than to hear it from the you know the actual stories of the people that work yes in in the industry and then you you figure out whether you connect with that or not but i guarantee you 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 have an awful lot of fun in this industry whilst forging yourself a very very serious career yeah absolutely there we are that's that's uh, today's lecture from your uncle phil love it (laughs) yeah (laughs) great stuff so if people want to to learn more about your your blog or just get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that uh definitely best way is to uh find me on linkedin it's the best place to get in touch whether you're looking for my blog my email or just to say hi um everything is there it's uh, my blogs in my feature section i will say i haven't being new to all this i haven't mastered the seo settings of my blog so if you google it you don't actually find it which is a bit unfortunate but so if anyone wants to help me out with that feel free to reach out yeah actually but, i but, could do with that on the podcast as well ex- to be exactly so, yeah. exactly um but i do know seo from what i've 
read SEO settings take up to six months and I've only really just started dealing with it as of January. So that does make sense. Uh, but yes, find me on LinkedIn. I will make a point in saying my name on LinkedIn is Katrina Pengeli rather than Kat Pengeli. But if you search Kat Pengeli, I'm sure you'll find me. I have discovered that not many other people have my name, which is very, very helpful for when people are looking for me. <laughs> Ah, very good. So, that's, so it's, it can be your stage name as well then? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not many people have the name Phil Street, that's for sure. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, well. do, I like it. I like your name, Phil. It's very uh, it's very you, I would say. Is it really? Yeah, yeah well, I think so. I'd love to take credit, but I had absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, thank you very much for, for sharing your story today. I've absolutely loved this. And uh, it was everything that I hoped it would be. Good. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> And uh, I wish you well with uh, with your blog and the next phase of, of your career, whatever that may hold. Great. Thank you so much, Phil. Really appreciate it and loved coming on uh, to your podcast. As I said, I've been listening since, you know, episode two. And I know you just released episode 57 yesterday. So uh, very proud of where you've come as well. <laughs> yeah. Check you out. You, you are a fan. <laughs> I, I know everything. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Take care. Thanks. You too. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. And there we have it. A cracking story from Kat so far demonstrating that you really have to grab the bull by the horns in your own career and that don't let a little thing like a global crisis get in your way. Bravo, Kat. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.